I don't typically like church and we teach in series. And uh, if you are a guest, this is a perfect day to come check it out for the first time because we're starting a brand new series, new year, new series, um, a series called Better. Uh, it feels like everything in, in our kind of cultural reinforcement uh, awareness right now is telling us to be better at things, to be better at uh, ourselves, our life, our job, or whatever. Um, and uh, there's so much focus on progress, a series on, on progress. In fact, we, we picked this photo, Eric took this photo this last week. Um, this is of the Dupertail Bridge that's being built because they tell us that traffic will get better somehow with this. I don't know how that works, but experts say it will. Um, so Hanford Traffic has that to look forward to. Um, and uh, and th- this, uh, again, cultural reinforcement, every- everything around us is pointing uh, in this way. We make re- resolutions around this time, or maybe not resolutions, but goals, or maybe not goals, but like suggestions, or maybe not suggestions, but like things we're trying to work on um, because we want to get better. There's an unofficial slogan uh, around this time of year that is basically this, have a better year this year than last year. Have a better year than last year, which depending on how last year went for you, could either be really, really, you know, that's going to be a challenge because last year was good. Well, let's make it great. Or last year was a joke. So this is the bar is super low for you. That's great too. Or it's like meh, whatever. It was fine. Uh, and then it just feels like this is a natural time where everybody kind of needs a reset uh, in that way. That's, that's totally great. Um, it's interesting because when other people say, I'm going to try and do better this year, I'm going to set these resolutions or goals. I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, During the other 11 months of the year, when somebody comes up to me and says, I'm going to do this new diet, I'm going to do this new workout thing, I'm going to try this thing, whatever, I think to myself, good for you. Um, I'm not inspired to follow along with you. Um, And yet I'm like, I believe that you are genuinely going to do this because it's July, right? And you're like, I'm going to try this thing. Maybe it was like a meeting with a doctor or something or whatever. I don't know. And I, I totally understand. It's interesting because when it comes in, January, I don't believe you as much, and yet I'm more inspired. To, it's ironic. I'm more inspired to do something about myself as a result of you. I believe you more in July, but in, this, in January, I'm like, I mean, this is just what you do. And, and yet then I'm also more inclined to do something about it because maybe it's the post-holiday egg dog consumption remorse. Uh, maybe it's fewer hours of daylight, which means more indoor time for me. Maybe it's the offense that I take when Netflix asks me, are you still watching, right? And you're like, well, that's sort of passy aggressive Netflix. But yes, I am. Thank you very much. Um, in January, more inspired. Maybe it's time for me and you and us and all whatever to do a little better at what we're doing. And I don't think I'm alone in this. Um, and one of the reasons I don't think I'm alone is I went to Costco this weekend. And uh, I don't know if you know, they, they have a entry wall philosophy, right? And I don't know if this is like for sure what they teach, but it feels like it. Where, you know, when you go through and you flip them your badge and you show them that you're qualified to shop at their store, um, you walk through and then immediately on the right-hand side, there are all the TVs in the photo center. But on the left-hand side is this wall, this entry wall of product. And it's basically Costco's leadership of telling you, here's what we think you need to survive this next season, this current season, right? So like December, it was like booze and slippers, right? And <laughs> I bought both, okay? So there, that's the wall of entry wall philosophy. And then I walked through this weekend, Thursday, and the whole wall is filled entirely. And I don't know if it's true today, but I bet it is. Filled with vitamins. Vitamins <laughs> from the moment you walk in with letters and numbers. I don't even know they went together. They're all over the place. It's as if Costco is saying, listen, we know you're trying to do better. We know that working out and eating broccoli sucks. Why not take a healthy dose of magnesium and get you on your way? Like a little baby step, a little step forward. You can at least do something like this. This is the bare minimum. And look, we took $1.50 off for you, right? So that's 
that's our motivation. And we understand that this is how things work. And we're reminded uh, through stores, through products, through whatever product placement, through advertisements or whatever, um, that baby steps are, are what we need, that we have these goals. And if you want to achieve these things, if you want to fit into your pants the way that you fit into your sweatpants all Christmas break, then here's what you're going to need to do. It's going to be it's going to be a consistency thing over time. And, and we're reminded, as always, um, about the, uh, you know, the consistency effect, the law of consistency, which is basically this. Small things plus consistency over time eventually lead up into big things. This is not, you don't even need to write this down. This is like normal, I'm talking about it, but you, it's, this is reinforced culturally all over the place. Small things plus consistency over time equal big things. If you want to get in better shape, it's not enough to go to the gym tomorrow and, and, and you know, work yourself to death because all you wake up with the next day is just a lot of pain and back pain, I promise experience. So then here's what you need to do. You go, I'm going to set a time. I'm going to do this. And it's going to be consistency, consistency, consistency. Um, years ago when our daughter was, was really young, my wife and I sat down and did like some planning for what, what do we want to provide for our kids um, when they get older. And we decided we were going to open up one of those uh, 529 college savings plans. We're going to tuck some, some money away, right, for her so that when she graduates high school, she looked she looked, when we looked at her as a kid, we we're like, she's probably pretty smart. She's going to college. So we probably better do something about this, right? We don't have a savings plan for Grayson yet. So we're just, it's just depends on the kid, right? You just look at him, you can kind of know. Just kidding. We looked at London. We said, she's, she's going to need it. She's, she's wicked smart. So let's start th- putting things away. And I came up with this number and Kylie said, well, babe, that's not very much. And I was like, I know, but babe, you know the law of consistency, small deposits over time, 6% annual interest that we can probably bank on for this thing. And when she graduates high school, she's going to have $700 to be able to go to college with. <laughs> And that, that's going to be, she can buy like three books with that. And, sh- and you know, that's great. So that, that's the, the law of consistency. We know how this whole thing uh, eventually works. And we know that it can work positively and it can work negatively too, right? Um, we take small little cheats here and there. Cheats eventually become little treats that we treat ourselves with. Eventually become, I deserve this. Uh, and then finally, is life worth really living without dark chocolate? We know how this all works. Uh, we understand the progress in, in this way. Um, and so uh, around this time of year, if I were to say, uh, you know, turn to your neighbor, I'm not going to make you do this, don't worry. Um, turn to your neighbor and tell them, you know, an area of potential growth for you in this area. My guess would be it would fall into one of five different categories, either financial, relational, physical, career, or spiritual. And maybe it is spiritual. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you're like, I just, I've been feeling like I need to kind of grow in this area and, and uh, I've got kids now and I've got this and I've got, and I've got a new job. I'm new to the area. I want to be able to make some changes in this and so I feel like, um, church on Sunday w- would help in this. I-, I would guess that whatever it is that you had written down falls into one of these five things. And then a couple of follow-up questions to kind of lead into why are we doing a series on this in the first place. Uh, number one, just an evaluation moment. I think it's a, January is a natural time in this week specifically or the last week or so um, to ask this question, where do you feel like you've lost momentum? In which of these five areas do you feel like you've lost momentum in 2019 that you don't want to have be on that same pattern for 2020. Now, here's a pro tip. If you don't know the answer to this question, somebody in your life does, right? <laughs> somebody that you live with or are married to or dating or whatever does. Ask them if you have got this personal security to be able to do that, right? Uh, where do you feel like I've lost some momentum? And don't be offended if it's right in that area. All right, and then number two. Um, number two, and you're not gonna like the answer to this question, uh, so much so that I'm gonna ask it and then I'm gonna like, we're gonna leave it alone for two weeks and I'm gonna come back in two weeks and we're gonna finish this up. 
because it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. In what ways and to what extremes have you gone or have I gone to hide this from my friends, my family, and myself? I've lost momentum in one of these different areas. I know it, and I've gone, I've thought of different ways and thought of different extremes that I've gone to hide this from my friends and my family, which is one thing, but then also to hide it from myself and to deny reality for myself. A blind spot in my life that I know requires some personal growth, but I'm just not self-aware enough to be able to know what that is. Ouch, that one hurts a little bit, Brent, I know. I'm gonna, that's why I'm giving you two weeks to think about it and, and, and be angry. Or I'm warning you that it's coming in two weeks, and so you can like plan to do something different that day or, or, or whatever. That's totally fine. Although I'm pretty sure the Hawks are going to be in the NFC Championship game. So you're going to be here kind of being like, I got to do what I got to do here to make this thing work. So that'll work in that way. All right. Um, if what we're trying to do here at Eastlake on a Sunday, and if you're, if you're new here, you may, this might be new information for you, that's fine, but if what we're trying to do here is to create a not-so-secret society for people trying to figure out what it looks like in 2020 to learn and to follow the way of Jesus, then what does any of this have to do with that? And that's the thing I've been wrestling with. Like, I feel like it's January and I'm supposed to talk about some of this stuff and, and it feels natural to do it because of the cultural reinforcement. And I do think that God wants you to have a better year this year than, he, than you had last year. I think that that's, I want that for my kids. I, I would think that a heavenly father wants it for his kids too, right? Um, all, all of that, yes, that's in there. But what does any of this have to do with following Jesus or the way of Jesus? Um, over Christmas break, I've had a chance to kind of reflect on uh, what uh, ministry looks like for me and uh, um, just what, I don't know, every year I feel like around this time, I've come to you guys on a Sunday morning service and been like, hey, here's, here's the focus for 2018. 2018, we said baptism is going to be our big thing. We had like, I don't know, 15 or 18 baptisms that year. Uh, and I, I don't even remember what I said last year, but I, I feel like this, which is terrible, I probably should have wrote that down. That's not in my notes, but... Um, I do feel like every once in a while, it's good for me to, to come in and be like, hey, this is just kind of what I feel like, uh, not to over-spiritualize, but God's kind of been putting on my heart for uh, what this is, what, what, um, what I think we want this to kind of feel like and look like. And I, I realized that um, as I'm writing this and feeling an obligation to talk about resolutions and, and getting better versions of you, um, that I really don't want this to feel, I don't want this to be a therapy session. Like it's not enough for this to be a therapy session with a little side of Jesus thrown in, just a little spice it up, you know, a little bit, um, or add like a verse at the end to make this thing work. Um, and the reason for that is I know, I don't, I'm not going to say I think, I know I would not make a good therapist. That's the biggest problem. Um, because I just don't care enough. You know what I mean? And I like you and I love you, but, um, I don't care about what Disney character you got on Instagram this week. I really don't. I swipe left before the thing stops spinning. That's how much I care. Um, and I know I feel bad about that sometimes. And I don't feel like I'm inspirationally aware enough to be able to give you a bunch of quotes that are going to look great on Instagram and, you know, tag this and do this and whatever, share this with seven of your friends or whatever. Um, I don't think I'm creative enough in that area. Here's what I'm committed to you. I'm committed to discovering what um, a, a healthy awareness of first century Christians wrestling with what it would mean for them to follow in the footsteps of the, of the teachings of Jesus, their writings as they kind of work these things out, and taking some of those and figuring out the relevancy of what that means for us in 220, um, 220, 2020, sorry. Um, I think that um, 
that when it comes to those, I know, I know that not, I, I, I don't believe in like, hey, we're just going to stick with Philippians and we're going to go chapter one through all these different six chapters or whatever, and we're just verse by verse by verse, um, because there are things that you're experiencing and I'm experiencing that they didn't write about because they didn't have social media or cell phones or whatever else, right? So there's an element of, of here and there. I want to focus on that crossover and then um, really try and make the teachings relevant for us as we kind of discover, again, uh, the way of Jesus. And so with that in mind, in what ways do the problems and the struggles that I'm experiencing today, especially with this cultural oppression, almost, at least in this season, of being better, of making a better version of myself, how do they match up with the Jesus followers from the first centuries and how they processed life in the way of Jesus? And when it comes to dealing with personal areas of weakness, because that's essentially what we're talking about, right? When I say, take one of these five, figure out where you've lost momentum, figure out what it would take consistently over time to look like and, and do better in that way. What we're establishing is areas that we just, we suck or, or we need growth or we recognize we have shortcomings in those areas. Um, there's momentum loss there or at least areas uh, of improvement. And in that way, if you take it from that perspective, we get a healthy dose of what that might look like through the writings of the Apostle Paul. A quick refresher on, on Paul for those of you um, not familiar kind of with his story or backdrop or just needing a quick refresher. Uh, Paul was originally, his name is Saul, and he's this massive character in the book of Acts early on as a, a person who was really anti this new movement of Christianity. So much anti, he considered himself to be the Pharisee among Pharisees. Um, the best of the best, the top of the class of the valedictorian if they had one. Um, commissioned, uh, so influential and so smart and so out there, commissioned by Judaism, the, the leadership, to be able to go out and kind of resolve all of these Jews who were starting this new sect of Judaism called Christianity, hijacking what they wanted from Judaism, and, and then placing this guilt and blame about crucifying the Messiah that supposedly we were waiting for through the person of Jesus, and you did this, and they're, 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 they're hijacking our religion, exterminate them, get rid of them, stop this, shut this thing down. Saul goes on this mission to be able to go and do um, exactly that. So much so that in the book of Acts, when Stephen is stoned publicly for what he believed and refuses to recant his beliefs, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, makes sure to mention that Paul, Saul, is standing on the side holding the coats of the people while um, he is being stoned. Uh, what you see through Paul's writings over like the expanse of his writings is an abrasive personality, a polarizing persona, probably a bit arrogant. And by probably, I mean definitely a bit arrogant. He's smart and he knows it. You ever dated somebody like that? You ever been married to somebody like that or work for somebody like that? They're smart. They're smarter than you and they know it and you know it too. And it's like, I just, that's Paul and what he's got going on in this way. It's interesting because there's a historian who is secular, he's not Christian, but he, his focus of attention is on Christianity and specifically the rise of Christianity and why Christianity survived Roman imperialism and got out of the first century at all. His name is Rodney Stark. He used to be at UW, but now he's, uh, I think he's retired and he just writes now. Um, he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity and in trying to explain why Christianity rose the way that it did, he, he said, he makes this statement that at first rubbed me the wrong way, but I, I kind of get it. He goes, nothing, nothing was more influential to the rise of Christianity than the activity of the Apostle Paul in his missionary work. And before, he, and, and he would say something like this, I know you're gonna interject and be like, I don't know, Jesus' crucifixion feels like a big thing, right? And resurrection. And he would say, yes, theologically, I, I don't doubt it. And I, I'm not a Christian, so I don't 
you know, pretend to, um, I don't pretend to talk about it from a theological way, but I'm, I'm telling you from a sociological standpoint, nothing was more influential than Paul's work in this way. You've got this massive personality who has the makeup, the physical, the, uh, the, 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 the like pit bull mentality, the aggressive willing to say all the things that most of us would be like, well, I'm not going to say that publicly, but I definitely think it privately. Do all of the things that we are not qualified or feel good enough to do or are scared to do or we're too concerned with like relations to be able to make that thing work. And yet he goes and he does all of this. He, he leads in a unique way. He takes something too that is very, very interesting. And you begin to see this evolution of Paul's psyche as he goes from this Pharisee of Pharisees into this you know, Christian, neo-Christian missionary type thing. You see an evolution in his psyche going from leading with authority, which is how typically power works, lead with confidence, hide your weaknesses, play to your strengths, never let anybody know how fragile it all is. Keep it together at all costs. You see this a lot in uh, modern interpretations of power too. At least keep the face going. Behind it's a mess. Somebody, their personal life is an atrocious mess. But from a public standpoint, they've got all the pieces going. They've got this, they've got the image thing. They've got power. They want to keep the image of power um, going on. Paul comes from that and realizes the shallowness of that. And you begin to see it kind of transpose into his new way of this encounter with Jesus changing what he thinks is of value in terms of leading with authority. And it shows up most pointedly in a couple of his letters. One specifically I'll, I'll talk about first. Um, he writes a letter to his protege, Timothy. We get two letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. Um, the early church kept these letters. They eventually, in about the fourth century, canonized them into what we know as the Bible. So they're, they're found in the Bible, but originally they were just letters. In the First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Here's what he says. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He's writing to a younger, again, protege. Here's something you should write down, Timothy. Here's something I don't want you to miss. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Here's what you, here's what you begin to see. In, you begin seeing him move away from lead with authority, don't let anybody see what's going on, what's actually wrong behind the scenes, to then saying he came, Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners and I consider myself to be the worst among them. Um, there's a story about a, a, a Catholic thinker, writer um, named G.K. Chesterton. He wrote, wrote a bunch of books, Heretics and Orthodoxy. And fantastic, but he, he was a literary critic, essentially, in, in England. And uh, an op-ed came out in the paper one day about uh, somebody wrote in and saying, what's wrong with the world, question mark, and then begin to list all of these things. All external problems, by the way, all of these reasons why. What, what's going on with all this you know, degradation of, of, of ethics and morality and, and we can't even do this anymore in our society. We used to have it so good and now we can't. And what's wrong with the world today? And Chesterton wrote in famously and said, dear sirs, I am <laughs> sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. This is him going, uh, I'll follow the lead and the example of Paul. When it comes to what's wrong with society, I can start with what I can control with is absolutely me which moves away from our traditional interpretation of doing things, which is basically what's wrong with the world today with a pointed finger yelling loudly, them, them, them. It's always them. It's always outside of this. It's never us. It's always them. And Paul takes a different 
example and a different approach to it. Verse 16, coming back to it, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Later on, he would go on, he'd write a, another set of correspondence, this time to a church, not specifically a person, but a, 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 a community of people, the church in Corinth. And in chapter 12 of his second letter, the second letter that we have, Verse five, I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Instead of hiding my weaknesses, I'm gonna boast about them. Why in the world did you boast about them? Then this is interesting. Even if I should choose to boast, what, what, what would he boast about? All of those good things that I said earlier. Pharisee among Pharisees, top of his class, all these qualifications. He's smart and he knows it. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool to do it because I'd be speaking the truth. Listen to how egotistical that is. That's almost like Trumpian in nature, isn't it? It's almost like, is, is he running the Trump Twitter handle? This is amazing. Even if I should choose to boast, at least I wouldn't be an idiot, I'd be speaking the truth in this way. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And there's all kinds of dialogue about what that means. It was some sort of potentially an illness that he never got rid of or a weakness or a mother-in-law or something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Three times I asked God, take this thing away from me. I've got a weakness, I know it, I'm gonna publicize it now and I'm gonna talk about it and I know I need to grow from it and yet even when I attempt to grow from it, I submit myself unto God and, and I say, and, and he goes, I, I hear like with either an audible voice or within like a confirmation for me, I'm not gonna, there's nothing's gonna change there. My grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. He would therefore or go on after that and say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I don't know about you, but like in life, um, I know that what we experience or what I experience occasionally at times is moments of weaknesses, of awareness, sometimes awareness of them, sometimes ignorance of my own personal weaknesses and insults of other people, of other things and things that bring me uh, pain, shame, whatever, in hardships within my control because of stupid decisions that I've made, consequences for bad decisions, and persecutions, which is basically being, you know, that feeling of entrapments, of difficulties, uh, which can include situations outside of my control. Yes, hardships come because of dumb decisions I make, but then also there's just things in life that you'd had no decision of, and you are the victim of that. And all of these things, Paul would say, I delight in these things. Why? Because when I am weak, that is when God can do his greatest work and consider me. And, and I can find myself being strong, not because of the good things that I've done. This is, so, this is really good. This is why I wanted to talk about this in light of, are you trying to be better? Are you trying to do good things? For sure. Absolutely. And I, I think you should do that. And I, I think resolutions are a big deal and goals are a big deal. And I, I want 2020 to be better than 2019 for you. I really do. But in light of that, I also want to have that on one hand, like this drive, but on this other hand, this message of Paul going, yeah, but even, even if not, my weaknesses show that, that, uh, that um, I can't ever get to a point where even in 2021, when I look back on 2020 and I could say, look at what all of the things that I've done. May there be enough things to keep me grounded. May there be enough weaknesses that I'm aware of to be like, God, you're still working with crooked timber. I'm, I'm broken and I need your help. 
guide me into this. And whatever growth that comes out of this is a direct result of your intervention in my life, not my goodness, right? Not this. So based on Paul's verses and his ex, you know, extra, uh, extrapolation of this kind of theology for this, what does this mean for us? What's the crossover in terms of trying to be better, but then also having wrestling with the way of Christ, the way of Jesus? If we're following in his footsteps, if you're taking notes, number one would be admit your weakness. Paul is quick to admit his weakness. Number two, ask for help. And not just in terms, I mean, he would say for sure, um, I'm asking for help in, in, in a standpoint of, you know, God, you, you know me better than I know myself, but also in terms of the people around us. Are we, are we mature enough to admit that we're not perfect? Are we, are, are we mature enough to be like, I know I've got some, some things I need to work on. And I also know there's probably things I need to work on that I'm not even aware of. So I'm gonna ask for help from you and also from you. And any growth that I achieve and, and, and that comes as a result of this is not gonna be because of my disciplined good work ethic because of God's grace in my life for where I am weak, he has made me strong. And then thirdly, receive God's strength on a daily basis. That consistency over time. Listen, uh, one of the things that I, you, you will see from me in the way that I think about spiritual growth and the spiritual journey is that it is made through consistent, smart decisions over time or trust, an, an increasing level of trust over time. Um, I'm not a moments type kind of person. I don't think, I, um, in the same way that you can't fix a year of poor eating by being like, you know what, I'm gonna have an apple today and then I'm good, right? Um, it's gonna be extended things over, it's gonna be habits that need to be changed in this way. What you're not gonna see is a, uh, a church that focuses on like moments for you. Like, all right, now we're all gonna pray. All right, we're all gonna close our eyes. I'm gonna bring the band back up here. We're gonna play the piano and the guitar, right? And we're gonna get going with this. You're gonna have a moment. And I, you know, when you walk out of here, it'll be different. I don't think that that's how this thing works. I think it's, I think when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he goes, hey guys, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need for today. It's like literally at the core of his, his talk with them. That it cannot, it won't be, it, it just doesn't function like this. That's not how the world works. What we ask for, we admit our weaknesses, we ask for help and we say, give us what we need for today. I've got more problems than I know what to do with and, and I'll, get them, I'll get there someday. But what I need from you today, God, is enough to get through right now. When his strength consistently meets our weaknesses, we grow. And we'll never believe that God's grace is sufficient until we understand how truly insufficient our abilities truly are. So I leave you today, not with like, this is the solution. This is all wrapped up in a bow and good to go. I'm gonna leave you with a prayer and then a promise that we're gonna continue the conversation over the next couple of weeks with this. And the prayer is simply this, a simple prayer. Lord, I need you. Please give me my strength for today. Lord, I need you. I admit my weaknesses. Please give me, I'm asking something from you. Strength for today. Help me with today. 
And let me believe that in the same way that I believe in the consistency effect of physical fitness and diet nutrition and all of the things and financial savings over time and all that kind of stuff, in the same way that it works, that life works in that way, may I trust that that's true enough for me in my spiritual journey with you to trust you enough for today and that your strength will fill up my weaknesses. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that that would become uh, true for us. Father, that, um, that your guidance, that your, your truth would be um, something that shapes us, not in a moment, but through consistent obedience over time. And that as we, uh, as we learn and begin to obey, that more of us, more of our brokenness and more of our things that need to work on begin to get revealed. It's, it's kind of like remodeling a house where you tear up one thing and you realize you got more projects and in, in more and more and more, but those were there all along anyways. We're not creating problems. We're just exposing what already exists. I pray that you would help us. Uh, give us an awareness of that and let us rest in knowing that even as you're working in us, it is your work making us strong and not our abilities. Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life, the courage to act on it in your name. Amen.